Welcome back to the Beyond Now podcast. My name is George Boot and I'm a commercial development manager here at Acquired.com. This podcast is focused around exploring the compliance, security and sustainability of the cryptocurrency landscape. And to do that, I spoke with Nick Jones. So Nick Jones is the CEO of Zero, And I also invited Grant Evans, who's the head of partnerships at Acquired.com, who has equally had great conversations around the cryptocurrency space and also has some knowledge around that. One of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to Zuma was because they keep compliance at the heart of their brand. And that's something that I wanted to talk about around duty of care that cryptocurrencies have. Why would people, we see we're in a world now where banks are creating their own cryptocurrencies. So why would it, why would a consumer go and buy a cryptocurrency from their bank when the whole reason behind cryptocurrency was the decentralized currency in the first place? So it's a really interesting conversation. And we also cover off Zumo's oxygen product. Now oxygen is a product they release that measures the impact on the, and the environmental damage slash sustainability of cryptocurrencies. It's a really interesting podcast. I'm great to have you here. So let's get into this one. Awesome stuff. Yeah. So Nick, thanks for joining us. This podcast came around when Grant sat down with, remind me of his name, Grant, that you sat down with at Money 2020. It was Eddie that was there, I believe, Money 2020. Yeah. So off, off the back of that, Grant introduced me and we thought it'd be a really interesting topic to, to just have a brainstorming session around, really. I think this, there aren't, well, from what I've noticed, there aren't many payment providers creating content or equally having discussions around your industry and cryptocurrencies as much as there should be. So to kick things off, would you mind just going into a little bit about yourself and what Zumo are or what your mission and what your vision is? I think that'd be a good place to start for the listener and equally our audience to understand you a little bit more. Sure. So yeah, so Nick Jones, I'm the CEO, one of the two, two founders at Zumo, spent pretty much my whole career in kind of technology in the broadest sense, originally in digital media, and then in data analytics, and then over the last five years in, in blockchain. And I guess I've uh, I spent my career working in what I think is whatever the next big kind of change maker is in, in kind of digital overall. And been running my own businesses since 2006, had a couple of exits in digital media marketing, what, it, what was at the time known as big data and analytics. And then, yeah, and then we've been working on Zumo since. July 2018, and really it was about seeing the original uh, interest in the space and driven by blockchain initially, rather specifically the crypto, was around this kind of new model for the internet, how how blockchain could provide this kind of more peer-to-peer driven internet data sovereignty at the forefront of that. I guess all roads lead to, lead to crypto as part, of, as part of that process, obviously, is the kind of foundational element of that with Bitcoin. So we set out originally to build, to build, I guess, well, I'll take a step back. So I guess having looked at the space, it became clear that it wasn't for everybody. It certainly was not ready for mass adoption in 2018. And you potentially argue it's still not quite ready for mass adoption has the actual kind of killer cutting the absolute killer, well-defined end user consumer use case been really discovered yet. I think there's some very high potential use cases in there, but um, but whether that one's actually been as clearly defined as it has done yet, you could argue, argue yes or no. 
But one of the early barriers to mass adoption was going to be how usable or not it was. So our, our initial goal was to set out to build non-custodial wallets for Bitcoin and Ether, which were allowed, which would be which would be as pure blockchain as they could be on the underneath the bit that users don't care about. So security, self-sovereignty, access to the blockchain, but as easy to use as they possibly could be, which is quite a big challenge. It's still a big challenge with anything on chain now. And then that has led on this kind of five-year journey where we've built out a pretty comprehensive blockchain financial services infrastructure, which includes both non-custodial wallets, a custody solution, exchange service, effectively a hybrid on and off chain solution, which, which powers our own app. But actually over the last year or so, we've been focusing on providing that infrastructure out to other fintechs, banks, asset managers, etc., to build their own digital assets solutions on. So hopefully that gives you a, re a reasonable flavor of that kind of journey that we've been on, uh, we've been on over that time. So we've been through a couple of cycles in the industry. <laughs> Fairly long in the teeth as far as as far as crypto brands crypto brands go. So I've got all the kind of war wins and uh, and things built up over the time. But obviously, massive believers still in the space, the disruptive nature of the technology, and the these cycles that we've been through are part of the kind of the adoption curve of any industry. It's just hard to see that when you look back. I'm old enough to remember when newspaper articles that said that the internet was a fad in 2000. Uh, all of this stuff that people now forget because it's like totally embedded in our daily life in our daily lives so yeah so super bullish on the space still very interesting last 18 months and beginning to see what it's going to look like in this next kind of wave of adoption yeah pleased to be here awesome i think from mine and grant's perspective me and grant work in all sorts of sectors when it comes to obviously being associated with acquired and we're seeing blockchain the underlying technology of blockchain just crop up in other sectors, we're seeing it in ticketing, we're seeing it in other sectors where they're almost from a contractual perspective, we're talking collectibles, we're talking things that are just an innovation of something that already exists. So we're seeing it in, in, in all sorts of sectors. But the question I wanted to go to next was from the conversations I've had with your employees in the process of setting up this podcast is you really prioritize compliance and you ensure that security is at the heart of what you do as a brand. So can you go into a little piece around that? Because I think one of the things with crypto is the regulation piece. It's how often is that questioned? The compliance is a key piece. And I think that's obviously something you keep close to your heart. So if you can go into that for me, that'd be great. Yeah, I guess we made the decision pretty early in the life cycle that the space was going to end up, I'll say, let's say regulated, but probably actually was going to end up going down two parts. One, which would be a kind of essentially non-regulated, DeFi-driven, you don't know where the company's based, you don't know who the founders are, and that, that would be out there and it would drive loads of innovation, but the risk and the complexity of that of those solutions would be far too big for most people to want to take on. And that's why you see fairly limited adoption. But trickle down of amazing innovation from most kinds of companies that are existing at the kind of far edge of DeFi, then deep trickling down into other spaces. Our thesis was that actually that for, for mass adoption and for kind of, for both for institutionally and for kind of your man of the street to want to adopt the platform, they would want to know those things. Is the business being reasonably well run? Who are the founders? Who are the principals in that business? Are they adhering to some kind of consumer protection rules? 
it's the business being run in a fair proper way. And we're not talking about AML, that's a bit tired, the whole AML thing, always the money being used to fund terror. I think everyone knows that Bitcoin's like a drop in the ocean compared to seeing cases for the 500 euro bills and all this other stuff now that's gone away. But it's more, is this company going to exist in, is this going to, company going to exist in a few months time? Are they looking after my money in a fair way? Are they actually looking after it? Are they doing various nefarious things with it that I don't, I haven't, don't think I've authorized them to do, but actually somewhere in the TNCs I've signed over and said it's actually theirs and until they decide to give it to me back. So all, all of this kind of stuff that's baked in there that we probably take for granted around rules around banking system. And I said the consumer retail banking system and e-money institutions that we probably take for granted as consumers that aren't there at all in large bits of our industry and, and, and are being regulators globally and being trying to bring in some rules to protect consumers and companies and to help set some kind of rules of engagements around how these companies should be won. So we, we made a decision that, that that was going to be, whether you like it or not, that was going to be how it was going to, that would be how it was going to play out for mass, again, for kind of mass adoption. So we got on that, we got on that train pretty early. We're one of the first, certainly in the first 10, maybe in the first five, I don't remember, but certainly in the first 10 companies to get through the FCA's 5MLD crypto assets regime. There's still only 35 odd companies on that register. And if you think about that register, it's like the prequel to a full regulatory regime. It has a number of elements of a full regulatory regime. It's, it's certainly more than just a registration. It has elements of the e-money regime as part of that as well. We know because we went for both at the same time. There's a lot of commonality between, there's a lot of commonality between the two. And I guess what we're seeing now is that beginning to now move into kind of a full regulatory, more chunky kind of regulatory regime. And that, that, that's now on a kind of an unstoppable trade with the, with crypto being included in the Financial Services and Markets Act and being subject to the new financial promotions regime. It's regulated, well, that is a regulator. It will be, it is moving in that direction. And that is actually, for us, that's a good thing because one, for any company that's looking to set up and offer crypto to their customers in the space, you want to know what the rules are. That's a key thing. The worst thing as a business owner is gray areas from, uh, you want to know whether you're doing something in a compliant way. Most businesses, particularly people with offering other offerings in financial services, cards, e-money accounts, investment products, they're already doing things in a compliant way. So one of the things that would stop you from offering crypto is how do I offer this in a compliant way? That's not going to get me in trouble. Let me look at the regs. It's all pretty open to interpretation and I don't know whether I should be or I shouldn't be. And that's okay if you're based offshore somewhere. That's all right if you're based in the BVIs or you're based in the grey grey market. But if you're based in the, in the UK, if you're based in Europe or you're based in the UAE or whatever, and you're trying to go do things in that kind of, uh, in that regulated client way, it's, <laughs> it's been challenging. Anyway, so look, we put ourselves in there. We've got the front of that conversation. We've been heavily involved in all the kind of FCA consultancies around that space and FinProm at the moment, for example, and that you want to be in that conversation to be trying to help set the, to help set the direction of travel on that. And you can see in other jurisdictions, obviously Mika coming into force in Europe early next year, Dubai, United Arab Emirates, Switzerland, actually the beginnings of a more sensible conversation beginning to emerge in the US at the moment post the fallout, post the kind of FTX fallout. So yeah. you can see this direction of, you can see this direction of travel on that, 
side of the industry that wants to be regulated. As I say, there'll always be a side and there'll always be a place for a side that isn't and that sits other to that. I really believe that should still exist and that lots of innovation comes from that. But again, it's not for everybody. Yeah, that, that's our bit. It's, it's been a, it's been a challenging it's been a challenging road. There's definitely been points where where we felt on the wrong side of that conversation. At the top of the last hype cycle, when nobody really wanted to talk about risk or compliance or any of that stuff, it was just all about how much money could be made in a shorter time possible. And we felt yeah. like we might, you, know, you did question your sanity and think, oh, actually, are we on the wrong side of this argument at all? Maybe we should have just gone for gone and based ourselves somewhere else and run our business off Google Sheets and other stuff. <laughs> and actually, probably in the scheme of things, I'm quite glad that we, I'm quite glad that we did it. I value my liberty and I quite like the fact that we've looked after our customers' money pretty carefully. But it is, it's, it's, an you know, it's, it's been an interesting ride to be part of that, where it was almost seen as a, certainly from an investment, it was seen as a, well, why have you done that? And I think people have realised post the kind of implosion last year, why businesses like us and a number of other really great businesses in the UK have decided to go down this longer term sort of steadier growth route where you accept mm. that if you want to be a financial services brand, you want to be taken seriously, you're going to have to follow at least some of the same as, as in the I think real. I think that will help with some of the nays. You mentioned the whole criminality piece, the association with Bitcoin. That's, I saw someone posting quite a prominent figure in payments postings recently as yesterday about how it's still a criminal solution and cryptocurrency is still there. How do you push back on the naysayers when you're going through that regulatory pain to create something that safeguards people's money and you've gone through that journey and then there are still people out there that that are just, these are people that have historic links to the high street banks, the CMA9 and that sort of thing. Of course, they're always going to be on that side of the fence, I think. But how do you push back on those sort of naysayers? Yeah, I think it's, look, I think that you have something which is so fundamentally other I think humans convince themselves that whatever their version of reality is the only version of reality, whereas actually that's not true. History tells you that as long as enough, as long as enough people think one thing it is, that's the reality. Everybody just decides to believe one thing that's different to what everybody else has believed before, and suddenly it's there, whether it's true or not. So I think those shifts. It's very hard. The reality is at this point it's going to be you probably don't, you're probably not true. They're probably not the hearts and minds that you're trying to win at this point. In, at this point in proceedings. What I would say is that institutionally, and even government and then the regulators, the attitudes have moved massively in the last five years. You've got, you look at the likes of BlackRock, the very final stages of an SEC approval on their Bitcoin spot ETF in the US at the moment. And that is massive, just massive news, a massive sort of sign of the times, the shift in attitudes and the, within government, and in the FCA here in the UK, as you've mentioned, the, adopt, the broader adoption of the technology overall. And I think that the overall, the kind of consensus view is towards, is towards an adoption. And it's interesting that people, people is that the people will trip up on, on the kind of Bitcoin versus digital assets versus crypto versus the space piece. Again, that's changed. I think there's a broader knowledge set that people are able to distinguish between, between the two. So. Look, I think for us, it's still all about education. It's still about, about, about trying to ground it in data and in kind of positive use cases, just even anecdotally on our, uh, having run a consumer platform for, for a period of time, the majority of the attempted fraud on our platform history 
very traditional forms of um, e-money type fraud that any money firm would see that it is people trying stuff through, that it is people trying stuff through crypto. The reality is that anything on chain, you leave a very long audit trail behind you, which now with some very sophisticated software, people will trace back and, uh, yeah, and follow people along a long way back, whatever it is they've been up to. So yeah, it's still, I'd say that the numbers are diminishing and even off the kind of naysayers, I would say that quite often it is quite pointedly towards specific areas of our industry rather than crypto or blockchain or digital assets as a whole. You can see that that people are, the knowledge levels mean you're beginning to say one area we can get behind, we can get behind the Bitcoin ETF, for example, but maybe we're not going to get behind DeFi in the same way that it was rolled out the last time, or we like the idea of a reserve backed stable coin, but actually an algorithmic stable coin is probably a bit racy for anybody at the Bank of England to think it's a particularly good idea at the moment. So you're going to, there'll always be those, but as knowledge levels increase, so people are able to make informed decisions about how they use this technology and uh, in their own businesses. And I think that's yeah. it. As ever, it's, it's what's the most relevant application of this for me in the type of business I'm, in the type of business I'm running. I think, those I think levels are, are increasing. Yeah. And I think from our perspective, even I think Grab will agree that the education piece is a long-term commitment, right? You know, you've got to always educate these people with the spaces that we work in, regulation changes, something new pops up constantly evolving and changing so that I don't think that education piece is ever going to go away but while I've got both of you here Grant I wanted to quickly touch on a couple of the challenges that crypto platforms and equally crypto brands and businesses have when it comes to finding the payment provider we talked about compliance a lot I know from being in this industry for getting over seven years now that they're probably the most vigorous applications that probably pass through acquirers they do a, there's a lot of scrutiny around what these guys do. So yeah, it'd be just great to explore the kind of challenges that you've seen around this space and from a payments perspective. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we've got 11 acquiring partners now, and I think maybe one or two of those providers actually support crypto platforms currently. And that's been an ever evolving journey. It might've been four or five last year. Then something like FTX happens, spooks the underwriters of the acquirers, despite looking at different reg, not looking at different regulations in different regions. It just, I think that's the, the pain point of crypto, right? It's one incident happens. You look at Wirecard in payments, Wirecard getting into the problems. They didn't meet WorldPay and Barclaycard and all the other acquirers were terrible, but something like MTX happens and it's, oh no, that, that sector's back at the bottom of the pile. No one should be touching crypto. And I think that is something that, that Nick would probably record that can affect the industry. And that's just the the challenge of something that's different and it's newer in the market. And I think you've also got the challenge of the CMA9 and those sort of high street banks that always felt very threatened by crypto. Some of those still sit behind acquirers and they don't want to touch it or support it as payment methods. So we have that constant challenge of, we've had to go through an exercise recently where an acquirer is not able to support cryptocurrency platforms anymore. So we've had to migrate our portfolio to another acquirer. Like you say, that starts a process of a very long application journey inside leg measurement to a degree we just don't see with any other sector or business. The pricing is still higher than it would be in other sectors because it's deemed as a high risk versatile for us as payment processors. It's very challenging and I would hope that our worlds would maybe be further along than it is. I think Nick, from your side, it sounds like there's been a lot of improvements in segmenting the industry in different ways. It means different things that are looked at as some as a lower risk than higher risk, but I think it's very black and white in our world still. It's they see crypto on an application and it's 
not sure about that. And there's maybe one or two acquirers that we do work with that, that are different in fairness. I'm going to tarnish them all with the same crush. And those are the ones that benefit, right? Because the crypto platforms are going to go with those and they're the ones that gave them a chance and there'll be a loyalty there and they'll stay with them and they'll grow with them. And ultimately those acquirers did take that chance on legitimate regulated crypto businesses are going to have those as customers for a very long time. And it is the future and they're going to benefit. And we want to be part of that journey as well, supporting them in terms of wider connectivity, more acquiring relationships, ensuring they have that failover contingency if an acquirer does have an issue. We've gone through that this year where we one acquirer shuts platform down because of the connections we've got able to migrate that traffic very quickly so the failover continues to that we can offer as a platform is something that certainly appeals to the crypto merchants that we deal with yeah anything to add to that nick before we just move on i think <laughs> this is not a load of friction and most of the friction in our space comes in when we it comes with in interaction with with fiat with platforms is it is still is still that kind of on off ramp pieces where there's the most friction and you'll read you you only have to spend i try and avoid crypto twitter like the plague but you only have to spend a few minutes online to see this week barclays have stopped payments into bitstamp or this week we've seen another bank block so there's an issue with banking as a start with both from a consumer point of view and it's just sure that they're really difficult to get banked as a pure crypto player in the uk what will be fascinating to see how as firms with a broader set of offerings start adding crypto which is kind of what we're working with and our techs and banks on is does that have an impact on how they're on how they're on their existing kind of their existing banking and other relationships she's hope not as established regulated players but that is still that link there is still is still it's still it's still exponentially harder than it should be to set up and easily run a crypto business on that infrastructure side and the same on as you say, across cards, payments, the number of play, you know, one, you're, one, you're, you're on the hook for more scrutiny and two, uh, as you say, the risk at the risk level is the perception of the risk level is significantly higher, higher than it is. But one of the things that will sort this out is the regulatory regime, because it's going to be a lot harder at the moment. It's, it's easy to hide behind that. We're not in a fully regulated sector. Where we do have that same standard in the space as there is for is this free money or there is for whatever else it may happen to be, I think that will be one of the things which which eases the pressure. I would hope, but yeah, it's, yeah look, it's it's that kind of I suppose that kind of the kind of real and perceived contagion of what happened with FTX and kind of the pulling up the kind of the pulling up the drawbridges that were just about being lowered, just being lowered down so you could get in. <laughs> and then unfortunate timing that they were all those draw bridges were all pulled up again uh, by some by some of the more traditional institutions in whatever sector in banking inquiry it, it, it will as you say it will happen uh, and it definitely plays to the favor of those who can who you can work with that's what we focus on right you can only control you can only control what you can control so from our point of view it's about working with partners who we can work with I mean, you just well, we can't control other people's risk other people's risk strategy and that's what we that's what we've realized you know, yeah. over the time we've been running a, a b2b business in this space yeah i'm conscious of time but i do want to touch on one more thing which is again one of the biggest questions for me or what i've seen or excuse excuse my naivety if it is still a small thing here but one of the biggest questions i've seen is around the sustainability of cryptocurrency and i think 
You've just launched a product called Oxygen, which I'd like you to quickly just dive into and let our listeners know exactly what that is and what type and what pain points and equally what problems that solves. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I'll give you the kind of the, I'll give you the brief kind of genesis story. Three years ago, we decided that we wanted to try and lead the way as a kind of crypto firm with a really coherent net zero strategy and went through the process of doing all the calculations around what that should look like. And as a remote first, fairly small company with a pretty small carbon footprint, I think we were way over 90, 95% of our carbon footprint came down to transactions on, on the Bitcoin blockchain. That's quite an interesting position to be in because lots of big organizations have much more diverse kind of carbon footprints driven by supply chain and travel, et cetera, et cetera. So it's quite an interesting challenge. So next phase was what's the truth between about how much energy Bitcoin uses or not. Is it at this end of the spectrum where it's going to, you know, it's going to exponentially increase global warming all by itself? Or is it at the Bitcoin maximalist end of the perception, which is there's nothing to see here. <laughs> it's all made up by those nasty banks who don't like us anymore. Who don't like us. And so we, we again, we went back and did the science and the maths on it. And, uh, and the short version is Bitcoin in particular, Ethereum used to, but mainly Bitcoin now, proof of work blockchains are quite inefficient and do use quite a lot of electricity. But the good news is they only use electricity, they don't use anything else. There's no, there's no Bitcoin CEO flying around the world. There's no Bitcoin factory. There's, you know, there's no broader supply chain. There's no financed emissions in the same way as you, if you look at city of London, for example, we yeah, are great. The city of London uses electricity, but how much how many heavy carbon producing industries are still being invested in by firms in the city, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a quite a discrete problem to try and solve. So anyway, long and short, we did a load of work with Cambridge University and a number of other kind of academic and industry bodies and did a couple of things. One, we helped to pull together quite a good industry consensus around the fact that you can't just ignore it if you're in crypto. It might be a relatively small problem compared to some areas of financial services, but everybody's got to own their own, own try and own their own net zero strategy. And actually, as a problem to solve, it's about working out how much electricity you use on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and then buying renewable energy, effectively renewable energy certificates in a tokenized format against that to mitigate and be able to say, all the Bitcoin on our platform has been decarbonized. So really interesting journey that we went through of which our users were very enthusiastic adopters of and like proponents of primarily predominantly young sort of non really heavy crypto user base. People were really interested in it. And then we started getting the door knocking from institutions that were looking at the space, but had always been put off because they couldn't square it off with their broader ESG or green investment mandates whenever they were asked by somebody at risk to say, we see you want to do a Bitcoin ETF, but we're going to get, we're going to get murdered in the press. The Guardian's going to get us. We're going to get murdered, but we agree peace are going to be in here. Shout it. And we don't have anything coherent to say. What's true? Is it that it's going to set the world on fire or is there nothing to worry about? And so we can now say that here's the science. Here's something greenhouse gas protocol compliant that allows you to say any Bitcoin you'll hold or transact with can be fully decarbonized. And then here's how we show you the tokens that we bought against that to prove that we bought renewable energy certificates in places like promoting the transition to wind farming in Texas, or that's, that's a good example. And so you drive for this piece. So yes, yeah, it's, it's grown up and legs turned into this, turned into a product in its own. And really it's about any business 
any business that wants to get into or work in digital assets that has an existing ESG net zero strategy that wants to make sure that their move into digital assets aligns with their existing ESG commitments, come and talk to us and we'll, we can help make that work pretty quickly as well in a really efficient way. It's a great point, right? I think other sectors probably carbon wash in a big way against a wider portfolio like you talked about, the travel element, has the offices that they're running that are running electric and leaving screens on throughout the night and leaving light. There's so many arguments against other sectors. But again, that just feels like the the attack on crypto is set. It's easy to say, right, you've got to consume this energy with a blockchain to maintain the business proposition, but you can strip it back and say, but these are the businesses that can run on skeleton stars with no fixed abode per se, no one traveling around the world. It's a really valid point, I think. And I don't mm. to me, that just feels like another easy attack on, on the crypto economy personally. Okay. It's great to see you guys helping those businesses to mitigate that yes, inevitable is- challenge. Yeah, no, the beauty of it is it's about leveraging, again, what's good about the space. So accountability, transparency, and be able to use that in its favor rather than having it used against it. And I think that's often where, you know, actually, if you look, go back to fundamentals in our space and talk about what differentiates it, that actually answers most of the questions about, it kind of gives you the most of what's good about it and why is it going to be a big thing. But there's been challenger banks and near banks as well that have targeted the high street banks on this and their big attack there has been what are you guys actually investing in behind the scenes and what is your real carbon footprint in terms of global deforestation, fossil fuels, all the investments that happen behind the scenes that at least start coming to the fore now and it's not just crypto is evil and it uses too much energy as well, hang on a minute, what's the order behind the scenes of the conventional players here and what's actually going on behind the Iron Curtain as well and let's have a look at other sectors and not just constantly bash crypto for for something that, that impacts other businesses left and center as well and carbons at the forefront of everyone's mind, probably as a result, actually indirectly, the way that the crypto market has been attacked for using too much carbon as its theme. Now everyone's paranoid about it and wants to make a point of being carbon neutral. So yeah, it's probably exactly. helped the world in some ways. Yeah, I agree with the awareness, definitely. If you look at kind of awareness of the issue in our space, what it's allowed, one, it's broadly allowed us to talk about positives over time, but also transparency, right? I think the key here is the key for us is being collaborative, being transparent, not pretending you've got all the answers, trying to take people with you, collaborative approach. You need coalitions of people that are into this to deliver it. It's all the things that are happening in the grown up real world where this is being taken. It's been taken seriously and not washed, as you say. So it's been it's been a really it's been a really interesting part of the journey, and it's super interesting for us now that it's gaining some real kind of commercial, it's really transformative commercial traction and allowing some of these more traditional companies to, as you say, answer those questions which they which they, which they haven't been able to answer and which are probably unblocking. It's like those last bits of unblocking about why they should now be able to move into the space. Awesome, love. We are out of time, gents, but Nick, I would love to have you back in a few months' time to discuss more topics, maybe get some other expertise on, and let's just keep chatting about this stuff. I think it's important that we do. I think the education piece comes from this. People that are listening, there's a lot of valuable content that should be discussed, so I'd like to do it again. What's the, what is the best way for people to get hold of you and equally learn more about Zumo, should they want to? Yeah, yeah, good idea. Good shout. Obviously, get us on the social media channels through our website, Zumo.tech. It's probably the best, easiest way to get hold of us or through Twitter, just uh, just hit us up on the socials or directly through the website. Nice one. And then Grant, I know you're pretty, you, you love a bit of LinkedIn these days. So if anybody's got any messages, they can drop you a message on LinkedIn. 
Yeah, and also, look, we're looking to introduce some of our crypto merchants to the Zumo guys as well. And what you guys are doing is brilliant in the market and helping to problem solve for our customers as well. So we test them to that and the good work that you guys are doing in the space as well. Awesome. Look, both, I really appreciate your time. Cheers for that. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Cheers, George. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.